0: You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark.
1: Any major sports organisation has got to see itself as a media owner now. Whether advertisers like it or not, you're not going to be able to force people to, to watch your ad. You're going to have to find a way that your message sits much more naturally in the way that these people you know, interact and the way that they go about their day just the nature of, of the message, how companies talk about themselves will have to change. So they're you know, focusing less on the impressions and product capabilities and talk more about what the brand actually represents.
0: Hi there. Branded entertainment is one of the most important new components in the content strategy for any sports rights holder. Every club, every governing body, every broadcaster needs partners. And in the digital age, Their demands have changed both rapidly and dramatically. I wanted to explore this area, so I spoke to Misha Shear, whose LinkedIn profile says he's Worldwide Vice President Sport and Entertainment at Mediacom, but he was first introduced to me as Pele's agent. Misha has vast experience in this field and sits on the entertainment jury at the Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity. He's collaborated with his fellow jurors on a new book called The Art of Branded Entertainment. There's links to this publication in the show notes, as well as how to contact me should you need consultancy on content, digital strategy, you want to ask me a question, give feedback on the podcast, or just say hi. But without further ado, here's my discussion on the art of branded sports entertainment with this guy.
1: So my name is Misha Sher. Uh, I am a worldwide uh, vice president of sport and entertainment at Mediacom. Many people will be familiar with Mediacom as being the world's leading Community, marketing communications agency, media agency. We are an integrated sport and entertainment marketing division of, of our broader business, which operates across um, over 100 different markets. So, very simple. We're, we're a sport and entertainment business that sits alongside our uh, marketing communications business. So, as, as these areas are becoming much more uh, connected and linked, where sponsorship or partnership marketing, whichever whichever way you look at it, uh, is a lot more intertwined with the way that clients are spending money in marketing communications. We're there to make sure that that those areas are joined up and and looked at holistically rather than in isolation. So we're trying to get away from a place where you have an independent, standalone sports marketing business, which only looks at how a company might invest in sport and rather look at, how we can leverage data and insights and all the information we have about the brand, about the consumer, about behaviors, about, uh, about the market, the competition, to, to look at how uh, various passion points that the consumers have can, be, uh, can form part of a broader uh, communications uh, and media investment strategy that our clients have.
0: Misha, thanks for speaking to me. What prompted My this pleasure. Inter- <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> what prompted this interview was the new book that you've uh, helped write with the Can Lions jury, Art of Branded Entertainment, which has a direct link of course, to sports content kind of strategy for sports teams it's it's massively interlinked these days um, and I'll go straight in because I read your chapter and you were very, very critical of the state of sports branded entertainment why
1: i i i feel like uh, most of the companies that i see in the space um lack ambition they lack imagination they there is a lot i see a lot of me too the same sort of executions the same kind of talent The similar kinds of ideas and for me i think it misses i, I, I think it misses the point the, the what's you know we're we're living in the world where there's so much competition for people's time. I mean that's the reality, whether they're in the sport environment or any, or or anywhere else. So if you're if you're a sponsor in in that in that uh, of a competition of a team, you have the opportunity to really genuinely engage in a way that uh, that you probably couldn't in any other environment. And I feel like given that opportunity and having all the all the tools at your disposal which many of these companies have, they really, they fail to, you know, to go the distance. They fail to, to, to genuinely elevate themselves to really uh, to tell an authentic story. That's that's, uh, that is true to the brand. And that really, and really delivers and really delivers for the fan. Most of these things. And I might, my test is this, if you weren't there, would anyone notice? Right? So, if you're, you know, if you're, and if you're spending tens, hundreds of thousands, or in many cases millions of, of dollars, for an association, and if you were gone tomorrow and no one would notice, you have to ask yourself the question: whether you're doing enough, whether you're really, you're really making the most of, most of what you have at your disposal creatively, to, um, you know, to make this to make this entire investment worth your while. And I find looking at looking at the sports space, that very, very few brands. Are doing that, and there's it's, it's still very, um, very reach and impression based. There's a sense that just because uh, the, if you, if you win the impression game, if you're uh, then then you're going to be if you, uh, then you're going to be top of mind, you win the hearts of the consumers. The reality is just not that's just not the case.
0: In the book, I, it's quite good because it's divided into different chapters written by different people in the Can Lions jury, but. It also talks about the the phases of this concept of branded entertainment. Now, its definition of branded entertainment, I wrote down because I quite liked it. It said, it's entertainment produced by brands, adverts you don't want to skip, marketing made to be noticed, not designed to interrupt, ads which are a good investment of, of, of money for the brand and good investment of time for the audience, and they attract their own audience instead of buying time to be watched. And that's that's summing up. In my opinion, the way the state of advertising has changed—I I couldn't agree more. I mean, as I, as I going back to what I said
1: before, we're all in the business of competing for people's time. That's what it is, right? So they, they, we're all we're all challenged with how how are we going to do something, create something that people will will choose to watch, right? Something where you're not you're not interrupting an experience, where you're not paying for their time. Where it's something that's organic, right? You create something that people genu- genuinely like, want to engage with, want to share, want to see again, and that takes. You know, that's that's a skill, and that takes. There's a lot of insight that goes into it because you have to understand what kinds of content re- content resonates with people. You have to understand the actual consumers that you're engaging with, the cultural context. You have to see what else what else is out there, but it, it needs to be. Uh, it needs to be brave, and I find that you know, unfortunately, we don't we don't see enough of it. It's a similar. Uh, it's almost as if they forget that everyone else who's involved in this space is going to be doing similar kinds of things, right? They're going to be trying to win, you know, win the share of, uh, you know, share of voice on on social, right? Every single brand going into a World Cup will be will be thinking, how do we, uh, you know, how do we dominate the conversation on social? You know how are we front of mind, All this, and 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 ultimately end up doing very similar kinds of things, right? So, um, you know, when we sat down in that room, when we when the when the jury president spoke to us, he said, "Look, we don't have the answers. We don't. We're not here uh, to you know, to have all the answers. But what we can do, given all the experience that we have in the room, is to try to guide this conversation, to help people people understand." In, our, in, in the industry in which we operate, which is getting bigger and bigger, but what what does it take to really stand out? What does it take to um, you know to to earn the time of your consumer rather than to uh, almost bully them into watching watching your content because it's a pre-roll or something else?
0: You mentioned World Cup there, and that perhaps brings me to what I think is one of the best. Examples of branding content, which is the Nike advert for with the Brazil team in the airport, which I think was 98. I think it was 98. Yes. yes. And that is. That was an advert, but it was almost an appointment to view. That when that advert came on, and we weren't at a stage there where we were skipping adverts, you were watching it because it was nuanced. There was so much going on. Different players had their characters reflected in the type of shots they were making at the airport. It was linked to the brand. It was linked to the club. It was linked to, uh, the, not the club, the country. It was linked to the tournament itself. And I, I, that's a that's a pinnacle because I can recall that, even though it's twenty years ago. And yet, at the same time, what you 're saying is perhaps we 've not moved on enough
1: well, I think Nike have moved on a lot. I think they 're the ones if, I, if you look if you read my chapter you 'll see that I often reference the uh, the sportswear brands uh, Nike and Adidas, and because I think that by the, the nature of their businesses they, they have to there 's only so many ways that you can launch a shoe, which is most of what these companies do, so you have to be. Uh, you have to be innovative. You have to be forward thinking. But when, you, when I when I use that this this example of the Brazilian national team, this was before we before anyone the, the word branded content existed, and that that was a perfect definition of, of branded content. It was a beautifully crafted uh, piece of content that's that, that had Nike and, and and the football fan and and it had everything. It had the music. It had football. You know, it had the Brazilian flair, it had all those different elements that made you sit back and you almost, you forgot that you were watching an ad just because it was, it was just so well, it was just so well done. It was so well crafted. You know, this is what separates you from the pack. I always think, you know, sometimes I look at certain advertising and I think to myself, I've seen that, I've seen that a million times before. Okay, so that used to be Sony, and now that's Hisense or... Um, you know, that used to be Unilever. Now it's P&J. We've got to, you've got to be more brave. You've got to, you've got to bring something that people will say, wow, that was, you know, that was incredible. I really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was so true to the brand. I can't imagine anyone else doing that because that is, that's just got their DNA all over it. And, and again, I think that's, you know, this is where, this is where a lot of companies fall short is that I look at that and I think I'm not sure that that's so unique to you. And I think that could have been done by anybody, right? So, I, I in, in many in many of the of these kind of discussions I've had since you know since we've come back from the, from from having that experience of the jury, given given some talks, I I always I I don't say this as a as a set in stone checklist, but I do think there are some elements, some ingredients that have to be present. Uh, for you know, for any of, for any of the sort of for, for any of the brand content to succeed, right? The authenticity, the bravery, um, you know, all these. Things, it, it, it's got to the craft. It, it, it's got to be there. It has to. Um, for you know, for to have
0: to have any hope of, of resonating with the audience. You talk about bravery a lot, and that's always a problem though for sports team sports associations because they're in a game where they're they're naturally conservative. If they step outside their Lane, they get crit, they get criticised in the press a lot, um, which they don't like, and yet they can win that numbers game. Albeit, it's a game you don't like. They can win that numbers game because they've got fans, they haven't got customers, and fans paint their faces and and uh, uh, extol the virtues of, of their yes. team.
1: Yes, they do, and and and. There are there are plenty there 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 are many examples we can point to where you know when they do that when they are when they are being a bit brave when they open themselves up a bit when they allow it, we're seeing we're seeing some of this now with with these behind the scenes documentaries and and so on they realize that people uh, you know that people want more right that they are inundated with uh, inundated with content there's so much out there that they can turn to whether that's sports related or not I mean I saw stats. Uh, about a year ago that in, in the. US, between 80 to 25 year old males, Netflix is uh, Netflix is more popular um, than NFL. This, this is where this is where the audiences are going to. so this is, you can't sports can't take it for granted that the audiences will still be there. they have to push the boundaries. they have to think about, what are the new ways in which they're going to connect with people? What kind of access are they going to provide? Uh, are, they, are they going to provide? Well, how are they going to be able to tell a story that really allows someone in and uh, and makes them feel a part of part of an experience? Because in, in, a, in a sport context, that's what it's all about, right? That's what a sports fan wants. Social media has allowed them to get closer and closer to the teams and the players that they like, so they're now and that appetite is never ending. It's up to the to, to the sports organizations and also to the sponsors who are involved with them to to find ways in which they can fuel that appetite and they can offer them something that's that's really uh, that's really different and engaging and they can get that they could get somewhere else.
0: Who's doing it right in terms of leagues and clubs? I mean, I'd I'd probably venture NBA are up there, but uh, who else? Can we say it again. Sorry. Are NBA. Uh, yes. Who's who's doing it right was my question, and I'd venture the NBA are, are right up there.
1: No, absolutely. I think I think NBA is um, NBA is really in a league of their own when it comes to really forward thinking, uh, brave sports organizations that are there for many years, and this isn't just recently. I mean, NBA when it came to uh, when it came to cr- testing out a lot of these platforms like YouTube, like. Twitter, like Facebook, creating creating different kinds of con- uh, different types of content, uh, you know, putting it out there, tweaking it. They were always they were at the forefront. There's there's a reason why they have more a bigger audience across those channels than all the other American sports put together. They're really there. You know, if I was if I was advising sports organizations around around the world of who who they should who they should look up to, NBA is definitely is definitely up there. You now have uh, football teams sort of starting to come around to the idea that they have to be more, uh, they have to be entertainment, almost entertainment businesses uh, as much as their sport businesses. So you have uh, you know Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and you know Manchester City investing in these, you know in 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 these areas to basically talk about themselves as as being, I think I've seen a quote from Real Madrid saying, look, we're an entertainment business. We're not just a football club. So they understand that that means they have to be creating and putting out content all the time. That there is that, you know, it's a, that's, it's a requirement these days. And if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at Manchester City and the kind of things they're doing with trying to find uh, unmatched days and, and non match days, how they can keep people connected to the football club what kind of access and cameras they can they can allow into different parts of their club as a training session in the, in the in the tunnels doing doing the content series like they did with amazon this is all part of realization on behalf of these uh, rights holders that people want different you know, people are not just want, but they expect a, a different level of access they expect to be entertained in a way that you know, in a different way, they've been entertained been, uh, before. They don't want to see dull press conferences or press releases on website or Twitter, which which you can see anywhere. They want something more raw, more real. They want to feel like they know they they can feel the what's going on. They have, they have, to have on the on the so on the heartbeat of the of the football club. Um, so I think that that, that these organizations that I just mentioned are. Making progress, but you know the NBA is in a league of its own in that regard.
0: Is this such an important question that it could actually dis- decide and determine the future of a sport? Because you've got this battle between NBA and NFL, and NFL, for example, has got loads of challenges. Loads of challenges with the concussion. Uh, the The national anthem debate seems to be centered on NFL, and. Yeah. And the revenue and the sponsorship, which helps to grow the sport, if it's taken away from another sport are we are we talking about a fundamental question that could lead to a sport not dying but diminishing
1: possibly possibly I think um, you know, there is only so much time that people have right so you have to as a i think we used to we used to live in a in a world where there are only very few. Properties. We talked about the World Cup, or we talked about the Olympics, or maybe Manchester United, or the NFL. I mean, these were, or the Champions League. You know, these were, let's say, five, ten uh, sports properties that offered the level of uh, the level of engagement, the level of fandom, the scale that, that no one could compete with. You know, but the, the, the that, that's changing. You know, that's evolving. And you know we didn't have you know Manchester City weren't weren't on the horizon you know five you know five ten years ago you know La Liga as a you know as a product wasn't anywhere near the Premier League but have done you know have come a long way in how they look at themselves and how they how they uh, create content how they distribute it all those sort of things I think the the sports organizations are 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 starting to realize. And this is, this has happened over the past couple of years that everyone has got to up their game because they, there's only so much time that people have and they're, they're, they're competing for that. How are they going to, how are they going to keep that, how are they going to keep that connection going? If you are the NFL, how do you make sure that your fan and someone who's engaged with your league and with your product doesn't just switch off after the Super Bowl and come back in? At the end of you know, at the end of August for pre- for you know for preseason for preseason, that's why they're starting to create all these other products. Everyone who's coming in to see me, they're they're all they're all talking about always on. They're talking about this sort of creating these different uh, channels through which they can keep the story going, especially when it's when we're talking about outside of the regular season. Some leagues have the benefit of having a longer season, so the NBA is you know, is going on if you're in the player if you're. Uh, account for playoffs for about a better part of eight to nine months whereas the NFL is a much shorter season and yet they will create content and inventory around offseason the draft, you know, and and uh, you know all-star games and or the, the pro Bowls whatever you to to make sure that there is a there is an on there's they can keep that sort of they can keep that connection going because they realize that as soon as someone switches off, they're off. That person is not engaging with the league. They're not. They're not uh, spending money on league products, be that sort of merchandise or ticketing or, or anything else. And so it's it, it's very it's a very real thing. It's a very real very real issue for all of
0: them. And where should the major investment be? Is it uh, is it an investment of content creators to tell a story, or is it an event, which essentially is resources, or is it an investment of time? In order to change a culture, time and energy to change to change a culture. If you're NFL, is it a case of we've got to redefine ourselves and spend all that emotional time to to put our ship in a different direction, or is it the most important thing is just to is to buy good filmmakers, storytellers, social media experts, etc. It's
1: probably both. It's probably both. I mean, every every league. Um, you know, every league has to. You know, if you look at those questions separately, every league has to evolve, right? So the challenge is that let's say, you know, it wasn't long ago when NFL just didn't have didn't have a competitor. I mean, they were a behemoth, and they still are. Let's, let's let's be let's be honest. It's not, um, you know, it's not a, just NFL having having uh, having some issues. Is it's all relative because they're still it's still like an absolutely. Uh, it's a tremendous it's a tremendous product and sports property That's why they're coming over here because of well, they've uh, they've done as probably as much as they can in the you know in their in their home you know in their home market but the direction in which they go and what, what they prioritize going forward will really evolve because they you know technology is technology has changed the way that people consume sport it's now um, you know People can engage and, and, and consume in a totally different way. The there the other leagues have looked at the NFL and have learned a lot from them. Have stepped up their game, so they're in a different competitive environment today than they would have been even a couple of years ago. So that's you know how they uh, you know how they move forward will largely depend on where you know what the competitive landscape looks now and where they see their fans coming from over the next over the next ten to fifteen years. Because any. Any forward-thinking league has to think about, you know, the challenge of bringing in bringing in new fans, younger fans, because you know those are the you know those are the fans of the future, as as, as important as it as it is to maintain the current uh, the current fan base. But then, yes, going back to going back to your original question around content creators, absolutely, I think every single Sports organization that has a of 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 decent scale. I appreciate this is not possible in in uh, in in many leagues and for many teams. But any any major sports organization has got to see itself as a media owner now. This is where you know this is where we are. We're noticing that our business in terms of where our business is and the kind of consultative services that we offer now has changed so much. This is the, we're doing things today we had no idea. That we would be doing a couple of years, you know, a couple of years ago where we were mostly servicing brands and helping them invest in sport entertainment marketing. Increasingly, our business is shifting towards rights holders and helping these rights holders basically set themselves up as media owners, right? So how do we help, you know, how do we help Liverpool or how do we help, um, some of the esports operators that we, who we work with to basically operate as a, um, you know, as a, as a media owner, how can we help them create the kind of inventory um, that's fit for purpose? So it's not it's not about maximizing their their billboards and you know the eyeballs, but really creating the sort of uh, you know the sort of content and inventory that that sponsors of tomorrow really want because their audiences tend to be on different platforms. They engage and the way they use uh, they the way they use sponsorship is very, very different to what it was to what it was like uh, just a few years ago. And we were finding that even some of the biggest clubs are not set up for that. Um, so it's an interesting, it's a, it's a very interesting space, but that is the challenge for them. You know, how do they, how do they transition from, I would say kind of an old school rights holder who was talking about these millions of fans that they have around the world to really becoming sophisticated media owners. With you know, with well-developed content strategy, um, you know that can connect with uh, different segments of fans in in different parts of the world.
0: How big is the globalization part of that? Because you know, certainly when I was at Arsenal, the biggest question really was. Getting fans from different parts of the world to become Arsenal fans because Arsenal was because In- England was kind of saturated market, very tribal. You're born an Arsenal fan, you die an Arsenal fan. You're born a Man U fan, you die a Man U fan. The 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 battleground was the international market.
1: Yes, no, absolutely, because the because technology has made the world smaller, and I think if you look at, we we you and I both know. Being in the space that's in actually when it comes to any sport, the majority of the fan base does not live anywhere near the actual stadium, the stadium, the facility. If you're talking about you know other sports, you know where the team plays. You know that again, this didn't this didn't used to be the case. But anyone uh, you know anyone living in you know in Melbourne or someone living in Johannesburg or in Phoenix, Arizona can follow uh, can follow the game. In the same way, if I'm not going to the match at the stadium, if I, I live you know, 20 minutes from Arsenal, but if I'm not going to the game, I'm following, I'm engaging with that game in the same way that someone who lives, you know, tens of thousands of miles away. So and I think this is where, this is where technology has basically made the world, you know, made the world smaller, but that has put a notice on the, you know, on the, on the individual teams to figure out a way of how they actually deliver the, the experience that these people want understanding that someone in Melbourne or someone in Phoenix is unlikely to ever go to a match at you know at the emirates or maybe they would once in a while but at the same time how do you make them how do you make them feel engaged and connected to the you know to the football club so that the distance is not you know is not a factor and that's the, you know, that is the you know that's the challenge and all the new technology is coming out that you know VRAR is going to be is going to play a big part in that because all of a sudden you'll be able to put a you know put on some glasses and you'll feel uh, you'll have exactly the same view as um,
0: as I would sitting you know sitting in a in a director's box at Arsenal. That's the you know that's where uh, that's going to be a game changer. Yeah, I was going to talk about VR because by its nature it is immersive and one of the things that the book talks about is. This concept of the void—the fact that advertising goes into a void where it is it is just ignored—is—is is VR and AR something that uh, branded entertainment will be naturally leaning towards because, yeah, it, it's more immersive. It's harder to ig- ignore, and so there there will be investment there to make it high quality.
1: Yes, the answer—the short answer—that is yes. I still think there are some inherent challenges with VR purely because you know, we, we, when we think about football or think about any sport for that matter, it's a social experience. It's a, it's a social tribal experience. You don't you, know, you, you you want to watch it whether that's in the stadium or in the pub or at the, or um, in your living room. You want to watch it with other people. It's not a kind of experience where. You want to put on, you know, put on a headset and it feels, even though it's sort of, it feels like you're at the stadium, but it's a strange, way well, you don't say, I can't imagine going to the pub and everybody putting on sunglasses and having their own, you know, having, having their own uh, experience of the, you know, of the match. But I think as that sort of, you know, as that technology evolves, if it's, you know, if you can do that in a way that still makes you feel connected to these people that you're with, that, the, you know, the actual the physical product is no longer a barrier, then it will certainly become. Uh, then it will be. It will be a, a game, a game changer, and and a, and a big game changer for advertisers. Because what you know, what advertisers want is to, obviously, to, to integrate their uh, their brand and their message, in, you know inside that experience where you're where you, you are, uh, where you choose you choose to be there. You're emotionally engaged. You are much more inclined to be receptive. Just something you see in in that environment because it's something you deeply care about rather than, uh, you know, being interrupted in your, in your daily life whilst, you know, whilst you're doing something else. So I think the, you know, advertisers, many of the, many of the clients that we speak to are watching that space very closely. And I think that, that once, once the technology evolves and gets to a point where it's, um, Obviously, when it comes
0: to the price point where it's affordable for people, and you've got scale, then it becomes, um, you know, it becomes a game changer in sport and you know industries like travel as well. What trends have you noticed vis-à-vis the platforms, the social media platforms in particular? Um, I've seen some interviews with you where you've been talking about the the depth of engagement you can get from YouTube. Uh, content, however, that is more work-intensive than, for example, Facebook. And yet, Facebook, it organic reach is dead. So, <laughs> where are we with the platforms in in terms of branded content, branded entertainment? what?
1: This, uh, it's, uh, what, what do you mean, Richard? So I
0: well, interested. well, is is there a is is there preferred? Uh, platforms are are we seeing more emphasis on um uh, um uh, instagram tv now that's come out we're getting more engagement there and that's enticing uh advertisers to concentrate their branding content on that platform as opposed to youtube which has got a longer tail but maybe not so immediate reach and engagement um good question tough you know tough to say to be honest i think you know these
1: these platforms offer uh, very different types of you know it's a different sort of experience. I mean, if you're, you're people when people go to YouTube, uh, they they tend to they tend to go there and, and, and want to watch long, you know, longer form longer form format. And if the, you know, if, and if the content if the content is good, they will you know they will you know they will watch it. Whereas the, on you know on Facebook and, and and others, it's it's much more sort of bite size. Uh, I guess bite-sized uh, sort of content. Also, I mean, the you know—something else to keep in mind is these the um, the popularity and the usage of these platforms varies. You'll know this varies greatly from one market to another. So you'll have, um, you know, you, you, when you go from, a, let's say, you go from uh, from U.S. to Brazil, the way that people use uh, use. Uh, Facebook and YouTube is completely different in terms of platform you know, platform of choice you, you sort of have to cover your basis across all these all these different um, all these different platforms because in in different regions the Middle East for example that what people who, uh, you know the, the predominant platform is often very different from you know from all these different markets and um, you know I still I still think there's a lot um, we're, we're seeing this with with Facebook they're, you know they're 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 investing in amazon they're investing a lot in sports they're testing out how how different sort of content works on their platform how people engage they're still very they there's they're still in the testing phase and no, I don't think anyone's really you know staking a claim but it's it's hard for me to see anyone uh, a really, really challenging Facebook, given, you know, just given the audience that they've got and their ability to, you know, to make the product exactly what, what they need.
0: We are seeing some movement though in the OTT platforms. Obviously, Amazon have bought some Premier League games and uh, DAZN and the boxing deal is very, very interesting. That That's going to be a, a game changer in, in boxing and of course, boxing is very much a to view and, and pay-per-view works in boxing in the way that it doesn't work in other sports. Um, what what do you make of the OTT platforms and and are there opportunities for branded entertainment there in terms of sport? Um, well, I think this is going to be the biggest challenge for you know for the industry
1: because you know what happens you know what uh, you know what happens when you can't really when you can't really buy an audience anymore you know when you have when you have, when you can buy an ad around uh, you know around Super Bowl. But, you know, with a lot of these OTT platforms, you know, like Netflix or somewhere else, you um, you have to look at, you have to find creative ways to integrate, you know, integrate your brand because I don't think, I don't think moving forward, we're going to have the same sort of models, the advertising model, where you have pre-rolls or, um, or ad breaks or anything like that on these, you know, on these platforms. And the reason being is because the way that these platforms are, uh, the way they operate and the business model is very different from traditional from traditional TV. So, if you think of if you think of Sky or BT, you know when they when they're paying for rides, they then need to uh, they need to sell they need to sell subscription. They you know they're buying these rides, and that's the way that they you know they monetize their entire the way they attract uh, customers to the you know to their uh, you know to their business. Whereas someone like Amazon. Will be testing out to see how they can by 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 having these rights, how they can use pl- their e-commerce capability to perhaps sell product around it. So they, yes, part of it could be to sell Prime, but actually, I think they'll be they'll be looking to see how many you know how many how much merch, merchandise balls and things like that are they selling in connection to that uh, you know in inter- in basically integrating those. Uh, you know the sort of e-commerce element into the into the viewing experience. So there's still you know, there's still some way to go. I think in the in the next in the next two three years we will see proper you know proper deals being done, like really big rights deals being done by those um, by the digital platforms. I mean, you mentioned some of them are already being done, but it's we're not we haven't seen. Um, you know, we haven't seen the Premier League or the Champions League move completely to, um, you know, to a Facebook or Amazon um, or YouTube. That, but that's because those, you know, those companies are, are currently testing out where, you know, where premium content actually sits within, the, you know, within their business because obviously their business model is very different from broadcast. But I, but without question. Um, you know, going forward, they're going to play. You know, they're going to play a much, you know, much bigger role. But I, I, I would, I would stop short of saying that they're going to replace, you know, traditional TV. I, I, think, in my opinion, I see, um, you know, I see these these platforms working alongside a broadcaster.
0: Um, more, more, more likelihood of that happening than, uh, than face than something being available exclusively on Facebook. What did the most recent World Cup show us? In what way? In terms of branded content, the things that were done, the innovations that happened. I mean, certainly in terms of consumption, it seemed to be a World Cup in which streaming made a big a big leap into the mainstream.
1: Yes, um, you know that's true. I think I think the, um, I think what we're finding now is that um, you know because of. Because of uh, brand content, because of because of the, technol- the availability of technology, uh, and and how you know how it's how it's developed, it's you don't have to um, you know you don't have to be an official sponsor. You don't have to pay uh, you know tens of millions uh, to be you know to um, to basically leverage the power of the you know of the World Cup and the connection and the uh, the emotional. Uh, tie-in that people feel around, you know, around following the national teams. So, you know, whereas in the past, if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to be part of that halo effect, you want to have some connection to the World Cup. It was more difficult to do. So, that think you've done that. I think, uh, obviously, some of the brands did that with talents By and we've seen that with Nike or with Samsung and and, and many others. But now uh, they can. You know, a, if, if you if you're a creative if you have a, uh, if you're a creative storyteller if you understand how people engage on, on, on platforms if you have a, if you're um, if you can if you can tap into the right talents you can leverage the power of such a major tournament in a way that you just wasn't possible in, in, in years past and I think that's the biggest game changer you know, if you there's, I've been asked many times why I felt that you know, that um, that FIFA, Fell short of, of filling all the uh, all the regional sponsorships. I think they had, you know, I don't know if, I think they had somewhere like 20 20 sponsorships to sell they sold uh, You know between two and five and something and some of those came in the last in the last couple of months but I think the reason being is because the um, Because many many companies realize they don't have to make uh, They don't have to make a, a major investment. They actually don't need Uh, to have visibility in that environment because actually it doesn't really, um, you know, it doesn't actually cut through, you know, having a, you know, having a, an LED board or having some ad breaks or having some sort of visibility at the World Cup is not that important. If you can, if you understand why people connect to the sport, why they follow the national team um, or why they, why they follow certain rivalries and you can create, you can create something around it with, um and, and 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 invest in something from scratch, it becomes a much more a much more cost effective way of, of doing things. And I think that's the I think that will be the challenge for rights holders uh, like FIFA who who expect big rights fees to be able to demonstrate that what they can offer moving forward
0: is something that brands can't create themselves in the same you know um and, and achieve the same sort of cut through and scale. Yeah, we saw Copper90, for example, did uh, absolutely monster the World Cup, and they'll have got some brand sponsorship out of there. You've seen a lot of other YouTube uh, channels grow up um, and take some sponsorship, not at big level, but enough to keep them make a small business out of it, basically. Are are they attractive? Are they a threat to the mainstream? Or are we we still talking small fry here? I'm talking about the fan. YouTube channels here.
1: Uh, well, I, I think they're—I I don't know about a, a, a major, a major threat because there's a—they you know, they, they have to keep churning out uh, content, which uh, you, you, you'll know this isn't—it's um, it's, it's quite a commitment and it's, not, and it's not cheap. So, but someone like someone like Copa Ninety, absolutely—you know—they are. You know, if I would say that they're they're certainly a competitor to anyone. Uh, any other uh, media platform that exists within the world of football, and it's, it's, it has, a, it, has a, it sits in a very unique sits in a very unique place in terms of what it offers and how it engages people. So very different from your traditional broadcast TV. But like, let's, let's not forget the you know the scale and the experience that they've got. I think the we we, we still have the, we still have a long way to go for some of these uh, you know for some of these YouTube channels to really reach the kind of scale
0: and engagement that can rival uh, or that they they would worry traditional players. For now, for now. And one other example, just to move away from uh, football necessarily for a second, in terms of branded content, branded entertainment, uh, uh, Red Bull, for me, have been a great example and they've got obviously come from a brand and moved into a certain niche of sport, um, obviously associated with extreme sports high energy sports because it's an energy drink J- just tell us how effective or talk about how effective they've been what they've got right what they've got wrong uh, it's i think it's it's a fascinating
1: it's a fascinating story of red bull because because they create everything themselves and it's and they at a time at a time when when everyone else was was paying uh, for you know, for for an association so any 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 of their competitors or any brands out there are trying to leverage existing ip of um, you know of a, of a of a property but you know but red bull have decided that they're going to be you know they're going to be different in that space so they're going to create you know they're going to create something uh, something of their own that is going to be very true to their brand and you can't the thing about red bull is you can't confuse it with anything else they were very clear about what their, um, you know, what their brand's all about. It's all about experiences. It's all about living, you know, living life on the edge and living life to the fullest. And that's and that's a sort of, you know, having having wings, right? That's what they talk about. And I and they've shown time and time again that the that they understood what they, they understood what their brand was about. They understood what people uh, people they're trying to connect with, what they liked. And they create, you know, they created their, you know, they created their own properties, which they, you know, which they owned. Of course, they, you know, they, they have some partnerships with, you know, with more traditional, with more traditional sports. But the, the sort of things that they've done, have, you know, over time have really sort of, in, in, in my mind and in my, and I know in the minds of consumers have really built a strong affinity with their brand that people, people like the fact that they were different because people who were, they were trying to target see themselves as 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 different, right? So they respected that. They appreciate the fact that you know this here's a brand that's put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, we're not we're not we're not as a, going back to what I was saying before, being brave, right? Not following in the not uh, not comparing themselves to monster or to anyone else that would have been around, saying that we're gonna you know we're gonna do things differently and we're gonna invest in that. And they they made, they make content. Uh, a huge part of what they're doing, obviously, before anyone was really thinking about it as being as being a major part of what they do. I just, you know, I, I have a huge. I'm not. I don't drink Red Bull. I'm not into extreme sports. But as a marketer, as someone who's follow who has followed followed their um, their evolution over the years, I've got I've got a huge admiration for what they've done.
0: Tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, in, certainly in my opinion, as a layman here, I don't think anyone else has really replicated that. Now, if if so, why not? Because it's a shining example, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, but it's a very it's very hard to replicate. I think that's um, I, I, you have to go back and remember that um, you know, one of the biggest reasons why why has is. It, why they did what they did was uh, was uh, was down to the personality of the owner, right? They have a unique ownership structure. You know, the guy, the I, I can't recall the name now, but the guy who the guy who owns um, you know owns Red Bull. He, he is he himself is hugely ambitious. You know, he, he he wanted to do it. He saw the opportunity. He was brave um, and. He was willing to take that risk. I don't believe if you think, if you, if you know how most of the advertisers, most of the brands operate, they don't tend to have that sort of structure where you have one guy who says, I like this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it. And if it doesn't work, then I'm, you know, then it's on, it's on me. And, you know, how many, how many companies out there with the, with the complex decision making structures which they have, um, have the ability you know have the ability to do anything like this you know none and i think that's that's one of the main reasons why it's uh, why it's difficult to replicate and also let's let's be honest i mean it's taken you know it's taken red bull quite a long time to do that i mean this you know this didn't happen overnight and you know we live in a world where uh, most of the people making these kind of decisions are are, are looking at the, the marketers brand marketers looking at uh, at impact short-term impact They're not going to go in the boardroom and say you know we should be investing and in doing things like this you know over the next three to four years and, then, and at the end of that we should we should start seeing some results i think that um there would be a major not everywhere but i think you'd think they'd find that they'd find that difficult internally to um to get people to try to do something different we, uh, because majority of majority of the brand, brands are conservative in
0: nature. Just moving more broadly, how hard is it going to be to create branded entertainment, branded content for the generation Z, the, the teenagers now, once they become consumers, because they've had a very different digital experience and they still feel any type of advertising is a clutter. And I know this is trying to make it a little bit more seamless, but it's, it's still going to be a big challenge, I would think.
1: Um, yes, yes, it's going to be a big challenge. But that's what, you know, this is where, you know, this is where you have to, that's what we talked about in the book. You know, this, this is the future, whether you want to, whether whether advertisers like it or not, you're not going to be able to force people to, uh, you know, to watch your, um, you know, to watch your ad, you're gonna to have to find a way that your message sits much more naturally in the way that these people in the way that these people uh, you know, interact and in the way that they go about their day. That's you know, but that that's I think that that's, that challenge has always existed. You know, advertising has had to uh, has had to evolve. We now call it you know, we now call it uh, you know, brand entertainment, co-creation, whatever it may be. Yes, it's gonna be. Uh, it, it's going to be a challenge, but that's, I, I think that that's, that has always, um, you know, that's, that's always, that's always been the case. There's no, there's no getting around it. And there will you know, they, they'll be, there will be opportunities to trial and test things and see how, you know, what works and what doesn't work. Um, but friends will, will figure it out. They'll figure out what, um, you know, where they should be spending. You know where they should be spending their time. I would take that another. I would I would take it uh, even further. I think that just the nature of, of the message uh, and and what what how companies talk about themselves will have to change. So you know focusing less on again the the, the impressions and um, and uh, and product uh, say product capabilities and talk more about and spend a lot more uh, time and energy talking about what the brand actually represents because I think that these this this generation you're talking about are much more in tune with um, you know with the planet with the world around them and they want to they genuinely want to engage and buy from from companies whose values align to their own so I think it has to be, it will come down it will come down to that it was it's, it's, it will be less about you know how many blades this has or um, how fat, you know, how uh, how many cylinders, or how fast this car goes? It's going to be more about where, you know, where, you know, do you want to drive this car? Do you want to buy this product because it it perfectly aligns with the way that you perceive the world around you. You know, you like that this company, um, you know, is using, uh, you know, is, is is doing so much to uh, to address global warming or plastic in the oceans or to empower women uh, or to uh, to, to bridge the the, um, uh, the pay gap or whatever the, whatever that you know whatever those issues are, I believe that going forward, you know if this if this goes a bit into brand inter- I guess
0: brand entertainment. But the, the the nature of what these companies talk about is needs to be much more linked to what people care about than to than to the you know uh, to their product. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was going to ask you because just the final couple of questions. Really, I was going to ask you. What's the key piece of advice you give any sporting rights holder in terms of branded entertainment, branded content? What what's the key bit, and is is that it that you you've basically got to get your message right, and you've got to, you've got to agree it and make it clear? That's kind of what you're saying. It needs to be a positive message that's going to appeal to the generations that come. That that's what I was hearing anyway. Uh
1: yes, yes, yes. I would I would agree with it. I think you. I think my, my message, my message to, uh, you know, to any rights holder is just, you know, is this, is that you're in a unique position. Uh, you, you've, you've got a fan base. You've got people who are, uh, you know, who evangelize about your, you know, about, about your, about your team. They, they desperately want to feel a part of your organization. So it's your job to figure out how, not just on the match day and not just before and not just after, but how do you make these people? Across all the areas, all the different touch points with which they engage, potentially can engage with your organization. What kind of experience are you delivering? That's the, you know, that is the, that's the test. You know, think about that fan, like he comes to the game or he doesn't come to the game, and do they watch content? Do they, do they want news? Are they, are they buying product? Are they, in, you know, do they, um, you know, do they have some, some, uh, are they being rewarded? Are they, you know, they, it's, it's, it's really, um, uh, it's really not that difficult. It's all, you know, the data, data is out there. It allows every, every football club or every, you know, every basketball team should now, should now know how people engage with their, you know, with their, with their league, with the players and be able to, um, to, to deliver the right sort of messages and the, at the right time for them, and to keep that and to keep that connection going, to make sure that that momentum doesn't, you know, doesn't um, uh, that that momentum lasts. Because as soon as it, you know, as, it, as soon as you lose it, you know, people will find something else to keep themselves busy. Right? There's always another team. There's always someone else to follow. There's always someone who is gonna who is going to make them feel like they should be part of their club. They're going to be looked after more. They're going to be more appreciated. They're going to have, they're going to enjoy the whole experience, you know, online, offline. So it's, you have to be, you have to be the top of the game, but you, as. but you should speak to the things that these people care about, right. And try to, try to connect with the, try to connect with what
0: actually motivates these people in their everyday lives, not necessarily what motivates them as a fan. And so last question is quite a hard one. I think even I think it's hard. I'm about, I'm about to ask it, but is winning as important as it always has been? Because, because the message that you're saying here is you need to, you you need to have a brand, you need to have a, a message, a reason for being. And yet so many of us support teams that lose every year. And we come back because it's more important than winning. So, is winning as important as it always has been to a, a sports team, a sports rights holder, or indeed a player? I haven't talked about players. Uh, <laughs> great question. Well, look, we, we, we talked, we spoke earlier about
1: uh, the, the need to have, uh, you know, to need to have the international that sports become so international, right? And I think, I think when you talk about winning, you know, that that element is more important to people who are didn't, you know, who didn't grow up. In the, you know, if you're an Arsenal fan, you grew up around Arsenal. You will follow them regardless whether they win or lose because because you, uh, it's an inherent connection that you have because of your because you've always been a fan of the club. You you're, you're you remember it when you were when you went there the first time, and 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 the experience and the experience of, 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 of that football club through generations. I don't believe that that that's possible to maintain for people who, who have grown up in different parts of the world. You know, what they're attracted to is, um, you know, they want they want to be entertained. You know, they want to be, um, you know, they want to see stars. They want to see teams competing at the highest level. That's what, you know, that's what's exciting. And there's no, get, you know, there's no getting around it. It doesn't mean that you don't have, uh, you know, you don't have uh, smaller teams being supported in other parts of the world. But I can tell you that, you know, even Manchester City are you know still have a long way to go. In you know, in places like Asia, to compete with the likes of, you know for the, with the with the history that Manchester United and Liverpool have, and you'll know this because you travel there. Um, but they've obviously they they've had a lot of recent success. They've got big players. They play with a lot of style, and they're still you know they're still making up you know making up that difference. So I think I think winning I think winning is important. Having a successful team is important. And that's what given given the you know given the choice that people have to you know to um to entertain themselves they want to see stars they want to see big games they want to be um you know they they, they want to see the they, they want to see the best and I think um you, you do not that's not necessarily the case when you've grown up around the team and you'll stick with them sort of thick and thin when they're when they're being relegated but you know I don't think that uh teams like newcastle or uh you know or everton or other we'll have you know we'll uh you know we'll we'll find it easy to find you know to to grow a fan base around the world without having without having much success going forward
0: mr sheer thank you very much
1: my pleasure thanks for having me
0: Please follow at Sports Content Strategy on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, it's Sports Content SP. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog and sign up for his newsletter at MrRichardClark.com.